When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you have now dismissed your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, One thing you might have noticed, uh, in the last few years or so, there's been an explosion in the number of superhero films coming out uh, in the cinemas. Uh, I think in the next three years, there are a dozen different Uh, superhero films coming out. Does anyone enjoy those films here? It's okay. You can say it. That's great. Me too. So it's a good time to be alive, isn't it? Um, If you watch those kind of movies, um, you know that when they introduce a new character, the first thing you get told is uh, what they call their origin story. Um, And so this type of story explains who who the superhero is, how they got to where they are. So how do they get their superpowers? Uh, What motivates them to fight evil or to fight crime? Uh, Who are their enemies? Who are their friends? What kind of things are they going to be doing? Those sort of questions. It's the origin story. So in our sermon series this month, we're actually on the early years of Jesus. We're actually looking at one of the most famous, if not the most famous, origin story of all time, the origin story of Jesus himself. Um, Most of us are very familiar with how the story of Jesus' life begins because over the Christmas period we tell the story of Jesus' birth in many different ways and so we're all very familiar with uh, that part of the story. But we started last week looking at some of the stories in the Gospels that come after the birth of Jesus, telling us about his childhood. And what we see if we look at this is there's actually only a few things that we know about Jesus' childhood Uh, There's not very much in the Gospels about Jesus' life between when he was a a child and when he was about 30 years old. But there are these stories that tell us a bit more about who Jesus was and what he came to do. And answer the question, who is this person? Why is this baby who was born in a stable and laid in a manger, why is he so important? Um, And what did he come to do? What was he going to be when he grew up? Last week, Tim started by looking at the story of the circumcision and the naming of Jesus. 
which tells us a lot about God's uh, promises and how Jesus came uh, to fulfil them and um, to be the the saviour of his people. Now, if you look at the history of the church, you can see that Christians over the centuries and those around uh, the church have grappled with this fact that we don't have much information uh, about the childhood of Jesus. Um, we don't know much about his life when he was young. And so, you know, apart from these few stories, there's actually nothing written. So that's a large gap. And so people have had a tendency to try and fill in this um, empty time with stories that they made up themselves or speculations about what Jesus would have been like when he was a child. It's like... um, People who love a particular superhero often write what they call fan fiction, where they make up their own stories about oh, what was Batman doing when he was a teenager, that kind of thing. Um, it's an unofficial story. So, as we hopefully know, in the gospel, uh, in the Bible, we have four gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, there are official gospels and lot stories of Jesus. Um, but over the years, lots of people have written other things that they call that they've called gospels to say what they thought Jesus might have been like. So, for instance, there's a book called The Infancy Gospel of Thomas, which was written in about the second century. And the person who wrote this decided to make up some stories about what Jesus might have been like when he was about five years old, living in the village with Mary and Joseph as a boy. And if you ever read this, basically this story presents Jesus as a very, very obnoxious little boy who happens to have superpowers. Um, I'm not exaggerating, that's exactly what he sounds like when you read this story. Um, if you're a parent here, imagine if one of your children could actually do the things that they pretend to do when they're having kind of fantasy play, and that's what Jesus is like <laughs> in this story. So um, he does these little tricks, like he makes clay sparrows and he t- make, uh, makes them come to life. Um, and one of the other boys in the village starts to bully him a bit, and so Jesus just zaps him and he dies. <laughs> um, and poor Joseph then has to go and apologise to the dad's father, the boy's father, and reassure everyone. You know, look, it's going to be okay. I'll control him. You know, he's the son of God. You know, uh, it's it's hard. Um, things like that. So it's obviously not a really helpful picture of what Jesus must really have been like, and that's why it's not in the Bible, and it's not considered to be a true representation of Jesus's childhood. But it is interesting to think about the childhood of Jesus. What must it have been like for him to grow up and what does that mean? So when we look at our story from Luke chapter 2 today, that's the kind of question that it's trying to answer. Uh, What can we say about Jesus as a child and what does that mean? So the story that um, Michael read for us from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 35, it's set 40 days after the birth of Jesus. So Mary and Joseph took him up to Jerusalem, uh, to the temple, Uh, And they came up because they had some religious responsibilities as Jewish people after the birth of their son. Got a nice picture there of that verse, that's all right. Um, This is the temple, so they would come up uh, to to worship God together. So Mary and Joseph came up because the custom was uh, that women would come to the temple or to another worship centre 40 days after they'd uh, given birth in order to kind of make a ceremonial offering uh, of thanks to God and to sort of restore themselves uh, to, the, to the rest of the community and come, out, come back to their normal life. So where it says in verse 24 that Mary brought a pair of doves or of two young pigeons, that's what's going on there. Mary's bringing this offering. But they're doing something else as well and that's more important for us today. Uh, in verse 22 it says, they came to the temple to bring Jesus and to present him to the Lord. 
And so this idea refers to another part of the Jewish law where every firstborn son in a family was considered uh, to belong to God. The firstborn son belongs to God. So if you think about an ancient culture like this, and still the case in many cultures today, the most significant child in the family is the firstborn son because they're the one who's going to inherit, they're the one who's going to take over the family name, they're the sort of uh, symbol of the family and its future uh, and its hope. But God had laid down for his people uh, that because God was the Lord of this nation, God was going to be their hope and their future, that um, they were to offer everything to him, including their firstborn son, as a symbol of that. And it says to consecrate it to him. Um, when you consecrate something, it means that you sort of set it aside from ordinary things. You designate it as a special thing for God's use and God's service. So, for instance, when a church building like this is, set, is um, built, you consecrate it. We say we're going to use it for worship and not necessarily for other things. So after they had their firstborn son, the families would bring him to the temple and they would make an offering, symbolically in a sense, to buy their son back from God and so they could take him home um, to be part of their family. So Mary and Joseph had to do this for Jesus and that's why they came to the temple with him uh, at this time. And that's where they met Simeon and they talked to him about who Jesus was going to be uh, when he grew up. So there's actually a lot going on in this short conversation between Simeon and, and Mary and Joseph. A lot of it refers to the prophecies in the Old Testament. Um, but I think, in essence, we can see that Simeon is speaking about who this baby is going to be and what he will do when he grows up. Now, Simeon is a very special character in the Gospels because he's one of the very few people who actually understood who Jesus was uh, before he rose from the dead and what he was going to do. You know, if you read the Gospels, even Jesus' friends, the disciples, often had no clue about really what Jesus was going to do. And even his parents, um, Mary and Joseph, they only gradually understood uh, who it was that they were raising. Um, but Simeon, it says, knew everything about him because the Holy Spirit had revealed to him uh, who this baby was going to be when he grew up, before Jesus had even done anything. It says in our reading that Simeon had been told by God that he was not going to die until he'd seen the Messiah with his own eyes. Uh, you may not know what the word Messiah means, but it's a Hebrew word for someone who is anointed with oil. And in Greek, the word Messiah is translated Christ which is obviously a title that we use for Jesus. And it means that someone who is anointed for oil to be a special leader, like a king or a priest. And Simeon was one of those Jewish people who believed that God was going to send a special king to save his people and to bring God's kingdom to the world. And this is the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that this baby, Jesus, was going to be the Messiah, this person that he was waiting for. So Simeon knows who Jesus is going to be. But he also seems to know uh, extra things as well, um, things that even surprise Mary and Joseph. Um, if you read the Christmas story, uh, the angels came to, to Mary and Joseph to tell them who their son was going to be, but they focused sort of on the positive. Uh, the angels focused on how wonderful this child is going to be. He's going to be the, the saviour, the leader and the king. But Simeon actually knows that the story of Jesus is not just going to be bright, there will actually be a sort of dark and sad side to it as well. He knows that being the Messiah is not just a, a wonderful, powerful thing for Jesus to be, but it's also something that's going to bring suffering to him uh, and pain to those who know him. So he has a special word to Mary. We read, he says, the child 
This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of, many, of the hearts of many will be revealed. And he says to her, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So Simeon's saying here that Jesus, this Messiah, a special king from God, is actually going to cause problems in the world. Some people are going to be for him, some people are going to be against him. He will reveal what's inside people's hearts and uncover the evil in the world and he will suffer for that. And those who love him and those who follow him are going to suffer as well, even his mother Mary. So in the last verse he says to Mary, this sword is going to pierce your soul. So in allowing God to work through her, Mary's going to go through intense sadness um, because as the Messiah, Jesus is going to die and Mary's going to have to watch her son die on the cross, this little baby that Simeon's carrying in his arms. So you can see there's a very weighty things that Simeon's saying about the baby Jesus, about his destiny, the things that the Holy Spirit revealed to him. So Simeon saw in the baby Jesus being presented in the temple, he saw his life, this future life of suffering and of glory that God had planned for him. So this is the story. This is about Simeon um, and the presentation of Jesus in the temple. And it's an interesting story, but it, it can be hard to see perhaps, like some of these stories, what does it mean for us? today as we think about Jesus. So I want to think about what we can say about ourselves and about our own lives on the basis of this story of Jesus being presented in the temple. So we've just been through a season, haven't we, when we talk a lot about the birth of Jesus and the story around it. We tell this Christmas story over and over again. Um, one of the funny things, though, I find is that it's actually, unfortunately, though, it's possible for people to hear the Christmas story dozens of times um, and yet still not really understand what Christians believe about who Jesus really was. Um, you know, I find that many people, even those who've been around the church for a while, perhaps had some Christian education, are not quite clear about who Jesus was or we be- who we believe he is, perhaps having the impression that we believe that Jesus was just a man who was very spiritually aware and uh, taught us things about God. It's a very common belief about uh, what Christians understand of Jesus to be. A great religious leader. So the idea then is that as Christians, basically we're about listening to what Jesus told us about God and to live as the kind of spiritually aware and good person that he was. That's not a bad thing perhaps, but it's actually not what Christians believe about who Jesus was and what he came to do. Uh, what we believe is very different to that. Uh, In our service today, we're going to say the Nicene Creed, uh, probably just after I finish my sermon, and that's actually a statement, which is an explanation of what Christians believe, put together in the 4th century. And the Nicene Creed actually explains the Christmas story and what it means to Christians. So it says, We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, True God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. Now the phrasing there is very high, it's very elevated, it may be hard to understand. But what, in paraphrase what it's saying is that when Jesus was born, God himself became a human being and came to live on earth. God himself took on a human nature and came to live as a real human being in the world. Is that what you think of Jesus? 
because that's what Christians have always believed. And the reason that this is important is because it means that being a Christian is a very particular kind of thing. It does not just mean having new beliefs about God. It is not about developing our good behaviour, becoming more moral people, though we do. Becoming a Christian is actually about undergoing a radical change in our very nature and the kind of creatures that we are. There's a saying I've quoted before here, it's worth repeating and keeping in our mind though as we think about the early years of Jesus. Uh, in the early church, the Christian faith was often summarised in this way. Uh, have you got the next slide for me? God became human so that humans could become like God. God became human so that humans could become like God. Jesus came so that human beings could become different to what we were, to become something new, to become like God. He brought God's presence into the human race and opened up a pathway for us to enter into a union with God and relationship with him. That is what the Christmas story is about. And it tells us that actually this is what human beings were made for. Jesus has made that possible, that we could be what God made us to be. So when you think about the baby Jesus in Simeon's arms in the temple, Simeon is seeing this. What he is seeing through the Holy Spirit is the destiny of this child who is fully human and fully divine, this little boy is going to make it possible for human beings to become like God because he is a human being who is God. Simeon is holding in his arms the very first complete and fully perfect human being who has ever lived. And so when Simeon says these words, this is what he is seeing when he says, Lord, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. This is what he is seeing. So it's very important for us as Christians that we remember Jesus was not just a man, that he was God himself because that is why he came. But often I find as Christians we know that and we're very keen to emphasise that Jesus was God even to the extent that we can sometimes forget that he was also a real human being as well. Jesus was God, yes, but he was also fully human, as fully human as you or me. This is something that I find very hard uh, to, to grasp and to realise. And it's something that the writer of that infancy gospel of Thomas that I talked about earlier didn't understand at all, that Jesus was really a human being. Um, he thought that if the baby Jesus is the son of God, he has to be this kind of superhero, little God child who's you know, got these powers and doing all this stuff. He's not really a, a child. But no, Jesus was human. Um, but he was human in the way that human beings should be which means being filled with the presence and the glory and the power of God. That is what it means to be fully human, and Jesus shows us that. So this needs to affect the way that we think of ourselves and the way we think of all the people around us, because it means that to be human is a very glorious thing indeed. There is all of us have this glorious potential in us right from the beginning, even before we do anything, when we are a baby in the way that Jesus was. You know, when you see a picture like this of a new baby or you see an ultrasound picture, as many of you have, perhaps of your own children, uh, what do you see? What is it that we see when we look at a child like this? Um, if you're like me, when I first saw the pictures of my unborn sons, I did actually feel a bit like Simeon, I think. 
Um, I obviously didn't know the future through the Holy Spirit of what they were going to be like. You can hear them today. Um, But I did see that this was someone who God had a plan for and a purpose, a destiny. This is a child that God knows, a child that God loves. And God actually wants him to be with him forever and and to be like him, even though he hasn't done anything yet. That's the plan. I could see this potential even though I didn't know the future. And that's the way all of us start out. God sees us as our Father from the very beginning of our lives and tells us, you're made in my image, I love you, I have a destiny and purpose for you to be, to be like me. So God the Father looked at you as a child and saw the possibilities of your life and, and, and what he planned for you. And that's what he still wants for all of us. Um, there's a problem with that though. I think most of us would acknowledge that we haven't actually lived up to the promise and the potential that we have. Um, it can be harder perhaps to look at pictures of ourselves at this age or when we were a child because we know the mistakes that we made after that. Um, we've failed to be fully human. We haven't actually lived up to this potential to be creatures in the image of God uh, that we were made for. Uh, but that's why God became a human. That's why Jesus was born so that he could be the kind of human that we have failed to be. God became human so that we can become like God. God became human so that we could become fully human as well. That's what Jesus did. That's what Simeon saw. And as Simeon said, it does bring problems and divisions into our lives when we think about that reality because it means that if you believe in Jesus, if we want to have this new humanity from him, it's going to change the way we live our lives and the way we think about ourselves. And so the reality is, yes, Jesus does often divide people into those who follow him and those who don't. Um, and it is to follow Jesus is like a sword that pierces your soul because it means that anything that's in you that is not a real human response to God needs to, to die. It needs to be cut off. Our sin, our failure is going to be taken away so that we can be like God. That is very painful uh, to go through that process. It's a path of suffering, as Jesus showed. But it's the goal and the destiny that we have as human beings. and That's what Jesus is calling us to. So that's what the story today is about. Um, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to um, to the temple to present him as their firstborn son. And what they were doing was to offering to God this child who was set apart for a special job. And his job was to be the firstborn of the new human race. He's actually the first of a new way of being human, human, to to start something new. So that others of us, other children of God, like you and me, can follow after him. The Apostle Paul spoke about this very clearly in Colossians chapter 1, where he speaks about Jesus as the Son of God. He says, Jesus is the Son of God, yes, but he says, and Jesus is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, things on heaven or on earth, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is what he came to do. Um, If you're a Christian, you probably have a few different titles that you might use to describe Jesus and his relationship to you. Uh, So you might say, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my Saviour, Jesus is my friend. But on the basis of the story today, I think we can add another title to Jesus. Uh, We could say that Jesus is our older brother, or our big brother, if you like to say it that way. Um, 
In God's new family, Jesus is the firstborn son. We're born after him when we put our faith in him. And so he shows us the way to live in God the Father's house like a good big brother does. He teaches us the way to live. And so to call Jesus our older brother, perhaps if you want to be reminded that Jesus was fully human like you, he is um, your older brother in God's family. And to remind us that if we become like him, uh, we will become fully human and like our Father God as well. So as we reflect on that today, I'd just like us to pray and bring ourselves to God. Father, we thank you that you have sent your son into the world to be the firstborn, the beginning of something new, and we pray that um, we would understand and take hold of this destiny that you've given us and this new opportunity that has been revealed to us in Jesus, to become uh, like you, to become your children. We pray that uh, you would help us to seek your forgiveness and restoration for the way we've failed, in a new way, in a new life. And we thank you that uh, Jesus, uh, the baby and the man, has made that possible for us. And so we pray in his name. Amen.